Hello, hello, my dear audience here in the United States and out there in a big wild world that is shrinking day by day. And I have a feeling that in a decade or less, London or Paris in relation to my apartment here in New York will be next door. Greetings again. I'm Peter Resnick and welcome to the Dr. Peter Resnick's Toolbox. Thank you very much to all those who send emails to me. I'm always looking forward to hearing from you. And you know I do respond to your emails. Though my responses are short, I have to say, there are many emails for me to respond to. Uh, those who would like to write to me and do not yet know my email, here is my address, drpeterresnik at gmail.com. And also, if you want to call me during this show with your comments and or questions, you can do this as well. The number to call today is 888-874-4888. Again, 888-874-4888. In December of last year, I started introducing to you the various tools I have been utilizing for over 40 years of my practice as a health practitioner. I gave a talk uh, on imagination as a phenomenon on mental imagery and the therapeutic use of mental imagery. I believe it took me two full shows to cover the subject. I love introducing mental imagery to my American audience because in my experience, most Americans know of mental imagery just as a technique of positivity, a tool of imagining a desired outcome, and it works. It's a very nice tool for manifesting what you want and for removing what you want to remove, like accelerating the healing process uh, if you're not well, or manifesting some desired circumstances. But mental imagery is much more than that. During my talks, I spoke about five different ways in which mental imagery can be utilized as a therapeutic tool. I did not invent those tools. I learned them from my teacher of blessed memory, Madame Coletta Bouquer Muscat. One day, actually, I would love to have a show dedicated just to her because she was such a remarkable person indeed. Two weeks ago, on Tuesday, April 28th, I had an interview with Dr. Rachel Epstein and Dr. Phyllis Kahani, also students of Colette's work, who co-authored a book, Reversing the Trauma of War, PTSD, Help for Veterans, Active Duty Personnel, and Their Families. The book of, uh, the, the main core of the book uh, is the main, the therapeutic techniques for dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, and it's a very, very, very powerful technique. So what is so special about this technique? What's special about mental imagery? Why so many health practitioners are utilizing this technique? Well, this tool has been known and utilized for millennia. But we received a wonderful confirmation of the validity of this approach from contemporary research in neurophysiology. In 1990s, scientists at the University of Parma in Italy made a discovery so novel that it shifted 
the way psychologists discuss the brain. After researchers implanted electrodes into the heads of poor monkeys, they noticed a burst of activity in the what is called premotor cortex. When the animals clutched uh, a piece of food. And as the story is told, one of the neuroscientists by the name of uh, Senor Mezzolatti was licking ice cream in the lab when this same region in the brain again, in the monkey's brain, again fired. That is the neurons in this region did in fact fire when the monkeys not touched, not ate, but merely saw researchers handling food. Mirror neurons, as they later were called, are tiny neuro, neuro, uh, neuro, um, neuronal structures that fire both when we take action and we, when we perceive taking action. Much more research has been done since then in the last 40 years. And in simple terms, what we know now is that our brain does not see much difference between what actually happens to us in the physical world and what we see happening and what we imagining happening. Basically the same neurons firing. So that's why they're called mirror neurons. So that is why I keep bringing up again and again the value of mental imagery. And that brings us to the subject of today. Today I have a guest who is yet another student of my dear teacher Colette. Uh, I met our guest in Colette's little garden where she received all her students some 30 years ago or about that time. Her name is Sarah Berkowitz. When I first contacted Sarah regarding this interview. And yesterday, as I called her to confirm this interview, both times, Sarah and I spent so much time just talking about our teacher, little stories, which are endless, endless. And of course, I did not invite her to this interview because she was a student, another student of Colette, or because she's a nice person that she, of course she is. But because over the years, Whenever I worked with children, I used Sarah's book on imagery. So let me tell you a little bit about Sarah. She grew up in England, received her degree in education in the University of London, and came to America at the age of 24, where she has been living since then. She taught at some most prestigious schools in London, Israel, and uh, New York and was a school counselor and a staff developer, development trainer for the New York State, uh, New York City Department of Education for 28 years. Sarah, Sarah pioneered a revolutionary approach to it in education using guided imagery, yes, the same imagery, and therapeutic storytelling. She's the author of Guided Imagery with Children Successful techniques to improve school performance and self-esteem. That's the book I know so well. She also wrote a book coming out this uh, summer called Gratitude and Grace. So uh, let me introduce again, Sarah to you. Hi, Sarah. 
Are you hi, there? hi, Peter. I'm here. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for agreeing to come for this interview. Now, let me start with my questions. You were staff uh, developer, um, development trainer in New York City Department of Education for 28 years. So, can you, before we go into this imagery, which is a very exciting topic, of course, for both of us, would you explain your philosophy of education? Sure, I'd be very happy to do that. And before I start, I'd like to thank you, Peter, for inviting me and thank all the guests who are listening. Um, my uh, philosophy of education is quite simple. What I believe in is that the education has to be child-centered and that children should learn from cooperation rather than competition. I believe that every child has a lot of wisdom and the teacher's task is to draw it out, to harness the imagination of the child and to foster creativity. I believe that learning should be done by discovery. Children are not empty vessels that you need to pump knowledge into. Children have a lot of inner wisdom, and I believe that teachers need to listen to the child as much as children have to listen to the teacher. Now, we, many of us, take uh, vitamins. I call it vitamins. In England, we call it vitamins. We maybe take a multivitamin, a B-complex, a C, a D, but I also believe that teachers need to take a vitamin P and a vitamin L, where P stands for patience and passion, and L <laughs> stands for love. Teachers need to have a three-pronged love. Love, what do I mean by that? I mean love of the students, love of the subject matter that they're teaching, and love of the whole process of teaching itself. Now, there are many new vitamins, ways of learning. I have to write it down. <laughs> P and L. I never heard about vitamins like this. That's beautiful. <laughs> That's my, I made it up. There are many different ways of learning. Some people learn, uh, are auditory learners. Some are visual. Some are kinesthetic. And teachers need to be aware of this, and they need to use all senses to reach all children. Each child must be made to feel important. And what I did when I first came here many years ago from England, my first teaching job, I had 36 children, boys and girls, in my class. I was teaching fourth graders. And I made sure to know every child's name before the day was up. I said to myself, each child is a somebody to me, and each child is unique, and each child has to know that they're important to me. And the only way they will know this is if I know their name. So I learned their name in a matter of three, four hours. Now, I also believe that every child can learn, but not in the same way and at the same time. Uh, I feel that a good teacher needs to do two things. One, give the children a love for learning. And two, teach the children how to learn. If a teacher does this, the children will learn all their life. They will not throw their books away the minute school is over. 
um, teachers need to start where the child is at. And that means they have to individualize the instruction, but that's a topic of a whole other time. How to do that it can be done, even though a lot of teachers will tell me it can't, but it can be done. But I'll just give an example of what I mean by this. You need to start where the child is at. I had a child in my fourth grade class. His name was Noga. And Nogo couldn't read and Nogo couldn't write. Both his te parents were teachers in the high school, and they were being called down every other week with complaints about Nogo. That was the year before he was in my class. And now he's sitting in my class, fourth grade, and he's sitting, and what is he doing? He's drawing. So I go over to his desk, and I say to him, Nogo, I see you're drawing. Would you like to tell me what you're drawing? He said, yes, I'm drawing cells, C-E-L-L-S, cells. Mm -hmm. So I said, oh, no, God, you must be very interested in cells. Would you like to share some of the things you know about cells? And so he starts telling me. And I said to him, wouldn't you like to learn more? And, of course, he says yes. So a couple of days later, I bring him a book about cells. And he can't read and he can't write, but we start to learn to read from this book. I slowly, mm. slowly teach him words and sentences, and he begins to learn to read, and he later also learns to write. And instead of being turned off school and hating to come to school for the first time now, he's happy to be in class. And just to let you know what happened to Noga eventually, he is now a practicing doctor. Wow, what a story. <laughs> you know, you, meant you, you brought up a subject that I actually didn't even think of uh, discussing today, but since you already mentioned it, you mentioned that people, people perceive uh, reality differently. Some are people, people are visual, some auditory, some kinesthetic. And are you suggesting that um, you need to teach uh, children or even share with adults by appealing to their uh, visual kinesthetic or auditory system uh, through actually the, the sound and images or touch or you can do this through imagination that is this one vehicle that utilizes all of, uh, either of them that is imagining something or imagining the sound or imagining the touch which what what is the way did i did i make myself clear yes i, I definitely think that you can use I imagery for those purposes um children love to image it's their natural language and the beauty of mm -hmm. it is that they that it's done very easily teachers can administer it in no time it's it, it looks simple but it really goes very very deep and Children will uh, automatically, they will see, you just give them a, 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 a suggestion and they will see and feel and sense and touch because they have not been spoiled as we adults have by coming up with only one correct answer or one way to look at something. The field is wide open and when they use imagery, they feel very empowered, and they love to do it. In fact, one of the teachers 
said to me that when she doesn't do it, the kids start begging her. They can't wait for her to, to give an imagery exercise. I've trained thousands, well, hundreds, let's put it that way. I've done about thousands. I've trained hundreds of teachers, social workers, psychologists in how to do imagery. I had two classes. One was imagery for your own personal self-enhancement, and the second one was imagery to use in the classroom with your students. And amazing results. Teachers in their own personal lives found that they were able to come to the, their true essence. One of the teachers was an art teacher in a high school, and she said she realized through the work she doesn't want to be an art teacher anymore. She wants to be an artist. And so she left the field, and she moved to California from New York. And she became an artist, and she became quite known. Um, another teacher said her son was in dental school and he was at risk of having to repeat, to be kicked out, actually. So he was at risk of having to be kicked, of having to leave because his grades were so low. I gave her an imagery exercise and he started doing well and he completed his dental medical uh, degree. But coming back to children, um, mm -hmm. because children have very vivid imagination. I think that imagery is a wonderful way of helping them academically, socially, and emotionally. And in my book, you will see how that is done. Mm -hmm. Does that Sorry. answer it? I would love us to, to start at, uh, just a little later, the whole subject of imagery, how it works. But before I want, I don't, I'm not sure if I told you when we were talking about you coming to the interview, an average uh, uh, listener uh, on this, of this show, or actually on this network is a uh, middle-aged person, which means people we're talking to uh, either have teenagers or grown children or even grandchildren. So when we talk, I would like us to keep in mind that people can benefit from this tool, learning these tools, but you, we think how we, could, how we could provide them with tools uh, that they could utilize with, possibly with their grandchildren. And one thing that I already kind of made a note, uh, and I want to repeat it, but what you are saying is when you interact with children, you use as a springboard, as a starting point, their interest, any interest that you see they have. Is that right? Like you were with this young, with the little boy that you, you yes, found yes. that he was interested in the cell. So the springboard is not what you want to teach, but what the child is interested in. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Because no child, nobody actually will ever learn from if, if they're not interested. The only people, you have to have interest to learn. If you're not interested, you're not going to learn, whether you're a child or an adult. Mm -hmm. Well, an adult, maybe if they have to pass an exam, you know, they might be able to discipline themselves. But basically, by and large, you need to be interested if you want to learn. Now, Sarah, I spoke, as I as said it in my introduction, uh, for two two long whole hour shows, I spoke about how, what imagery is and how it works. Then Rachel Epstein uh, two weeks ago spoke about it. But I would like it. I think it's so useful for people to hear over and over again 
the same thing till kind of <laughs> you drill it in people's mind. Honestly, I, I work with somebody who, actually several people who said the same thing. It's like I, I would talk to somebody about certain concepts and then a year, maybe a year and a half later, they say, you know, I know you were saying this. You were saying it many times, but now I finally got it. So I think when something, when we have something valuable, it's good to hear about it many times. So what I would like you to do, if you don't mind, uh, is to explain in in your way, uh, and also what how you learned from from Colette. Uh, I forgot to mention. I forgot to mention. I studied with Colette for thirteen years, and yesterday just. I discovered that you studied with Colette for 23 years, right? <laughs> so in your words, explain, please, to our audience, particularly that, yes, I spoke about it, Rachel Epstein spoke about it, but not everyone who is listening to this show heard other shows. Would you explain what imagery is and how actually it works and why it works? Okay, so imagery is a pre-verbal modality, we all image before we learn to speak. It's natural. It, it uh, happens in all cultures and all socioeconomic levels. Um, it works because, as you said, Peter, the brain doesn't distinguish between concrete reality and imaginal reality. I'll give you an example, a very simple example. Imagine for a moment that you are lying in bed and that you're having a dream. And your dream is that you're being persecuted by some, you're being um, persecuted by a robber. A robber is running after you. You're being pursued, rather, pursued by a robber. And you're very frightened and you're running away. And you wake up and your heart is beating very fast and your hands are clammy and you're perspiring. But you didn't go anywhere. You were just lying in your bed. So the body reacts to imaginal reality as if it were concrete reality. And I think that really gives a very good uh, explanation. Also, um, uh, you know, actors, um, sports people, musicians, they all use imagery. Because visualizing a movement, such as a tennis serve or a golf swing, apparently turns on 80% of the brain circuits used in the actual movement. That is seen by brain scans. Now, I read that a long time ago. It's possible now with further research that maybe it even turns on more than 80% of the brain circuits. But anyway, 80% is a very large percentage of the brain circuits. And Olympic contestants use it also. They visualize, they visualize every part of the, uh, of the sport that they're competing in. And they go through it imaginally, and those are the ones that win the prizes, that win the medals. Would you now, would you, uh, if you don't mind, uh, recall how you started studying imagery when you started with Colette and what inspired you actually to, um, to, 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 to write the book that I found incredibly valuable for working with, with children, uh, particularly little children, you know, like uh, seven, eight, 
eight years old. Um, and I can kind of have two questions. So which one also, which was first, your interest in working with children and then you learned imagery, then you met Colette, or you first learned imagery and then became an educator? No, I was an educator first, but I was uh, I was not um, aware of uh, how to use imagery in the classroom at that time. I mean, I used to use all uh -huh. different modalities, but I didn't specifically use imagery. What happened was, because I was so interested in the whole development of the child, not just the academic development, but the child academically, socially, emotionally, um, I began to shift from being a teacher to becoming a psychologist. And so I went to study in the Postgraduate Center for Mental Health, a psychoanalytic institute in Manhattan. And after that, I went to NYU to do doctoral studies in counseling psychology. But when I was in the Postgraduate Center for Mental Health, I had a teacher who actually had met Colette and she came back one day and said, I met this woman who changed my life. And at that time, I really wanted to change my life. So it registered with me. And the following year, I went to Israel and I met Colette. And after that, um, it was like, uh, you know, I, I just continued with her every year. Um, yeah, and anybody who met Colette continued <laughs> with her for life. <laughs> I met Colette when she was 80, and I was with her till, you know, she moved on till the last year of her life when she was already almost 95. So anybody who met Colette fell in love with her. Well, she wasn't such an easy teacher, I will say. I mean, she was amazing. She was incredible. Strict, she was unbelievable. Strict, yeah. But she... She, uh, she actually looked me up and down, and she uh, considered... You know, she was reading me. She reads faces. She reads your body. And she was deciding, making a decision, should I take her or shouldn't I? And she decided to invite me to come to her classes. She told me that if I decide to come, I must come every day. That was six days a week. I can't be late and I can't miss a class. And I can't learn anything else whilst I'm studying with her. Those were the conditions. And I said, okay. I had no idea what imagery was about. But the next morning, I was ready there in her salon and she had a packed room and people sitting on the floor and she just started and she said close your eyes is she her english was kind of charming and cute close your eyes and then she said um gave us an, uh, an exercise so as i see in your hand a grain of sand and so i you know tried to do it and i see you know like diamonds moving from this grain of sand, shooting out in all directions. And everybody went around saying what they see. I'm saying what they see because she never let you speak in the past because then she said that's over. You keep the image in the present. And she didn't go into explanations, but many months later she told me that if I hadn't had that inside of me, then I could never have seen it. She wanted us to be able to understand our images on our own. And I noticed right away that I was beginning to see differently with my eyes closed. I was seeing what was inside of me. I was able to see things that I never knew about myself, emotions, feelings, 
were coming up for me for the first time. My interpersonal relationships with members of my family in one simple exercise, all of a sudden there was a whole, I could write a book about it. And then as I was walking outside in the streets of Jerusalem, I suddenly was able to see so many different shades of green. It wasn't just one shade of green, the trees, the leaves on the trees, the bushes, the plants. It was just astounding. All of a sudden, I felt my eyes were really opened. And that's really what um, convinced me to continue. Uh, some of my friends said, ah, oh, it's not worth it for you, but... I decided it is for me, and I'm very glad that I, that I stayed yeah. with it. This is, um, this one is of the first very, things Colette told me was bring a stick. I didn't understand. She would tell you to do things. She didn't explain, but, you know, you had to do what she said. She said, bring a stick. I didn't understand for a long time after that why I had to bring a stick. One of the first things she gave to me was a mirror, and it took me also some time to understand what that was all about. But anyway... I studied, I studied with her for many years, and I began to see by myself that I could perhaps um, use this t imagery in my work with children. And I began to, um, to do that, and I had a lot of success. Uh, in one session, I was able to turn around children who had been failing, and, and the parents were astounded, teachers were astounded, the kids themselves were astounded, and Colette was astounded. Uh, she said, you must write a book. She used to invite me every year I came in the summer, and she used to have a salon on Saturday night where right. people would come, right. artists, creative people, uh, writers, and uh, psychologists, and different people. Right. And she would, uh, every year she asked me to speak about my work. And then she said, you must write a book. So that's how I got to write the book. Really, I yeah. myself was astounded at the results in one session. And if you care, Peter, I could give one or two examples of this that will clarify it, what I'm talking about. It would be, yes, it would be wonderful. Also, just remember, some of my listeners already have been through many exercises, some those who have been with me for a while and who, and I, I know there is a certain following, I get a lot of emails from people. So there are people who uh, listen to many of my shows and I took people through many mental exercises. So at least some of the, your listeners are very much prepared for you to take them through exercises. Particularly, like I want to tell you, I, I, I love the exercises where you would, in your book, where you have one exercise going to, into the, into the um, uh, a store of masks, remember? Oh, yes, Where yes, yes. a child suddenly begins to discover uh, things about, about himself or herself. So you absolutely, it would be very nice if you would take people through some exercises and then explain the meaning after, after you did, because you, you really cannot unless somebody calls us. And if somebody does call, I will, I will take the call. But if not... People, most of the time, people are shy. They don't call in, but they do need some kind of explanation after you did the exercise, some kind of explanation of what the meaning was and what possibly um, it meant if they had with, with this outcome or, the, or a different outcome. Go ahead. Okay, so actually, I was.
planning to maybe do that um, a little bit later, but I'll just give a simple exercise you know, now. Do whatever you want. This um, is your I wanted to give an example of um, a couple of cases um, that uh, you I used it with children who were um, okay. uh, who were uh, having certain issues, academic, social, emotional, and mm. how I. Uh, used imagery with them, but we can do an example. Um, so everybody, if you're ready, if you'd like to do it, if you care to close your eyes, you can close your eyes. If you prefer not to, you don't have to. Um, just sit comfortably and um, be uh, relaxed and uh, preferably have your feet uncrossed and your palms on your knees, on your thighs. And Breathe out slowly to your mouth three times and imagine you're wearing a mask of friendliness. Notice how this feels and what are you doing wearing this mask of friendliness? To whom are you doing and what are you doing? And imagine somebody in your life is also now wearing a mask of friendliness and see what they are doing and the interaction between the two of you. Breathe out and open your eyes. I don't know, Peter, do, do your uh, listeners share some of their experiences or... Sometimes I don't see any calls coming in because I would see on the screen, okay. uh, you know, you and I are talking through the studio and All they right. call me sometimes. They send me a text from the studio. There is a caller. So I far, see. I did not get a call. I see. Well, anyway, I, I did this exercise. Uh, now. I, I did this exercise. I can tell you what I saw. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, you know, I live in the, the Dorman building and, and I... I was wearing a mask of friendliness uh, with with one particular doorman, and and it was like very cordial, and and I felt good. But like uh, I always, it in fact this morning I said to him, it's always nice to see you in the morning, and then when you said um, see somebody else wearing a mask of friendliness, I I suddenly saw somebody else, another doorman actually, who. And I am—I was wearing a mask of friendliness myself, but I felt fake because, in truth, it's like I don't appreciate this person very much. He's like, kind of, to me, feels fake. And I saw his <laughs> mask of friendliness, and both of us were like separated, really. Like it almost there was a wall between us. That—that was the feeling. But basically, from this experience, I felt like. Yes, he's faking because he has to, um, you know, he's at work, but I'm also fake. <laughs> That's <laughs> my experience. Very nice. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, I did this exercise with um, uh, some children, and it was astounding what one little boy, eight years old, special needs child, came up with. His response was, and it was just so beautiful, I can never forget it. It was many years ago. He said... I put a coin in the meter, and the meter smiled back at me. 
Mm. I put a coin in the meter, and the meter smiled back at me. That was so deep and so perceptive and so wise for an eight-year-old to be able to come up with that. He really felt what it means, the interpersonal relationship, the tit and tat, the give and the take. He understood that from this simple exercise. If I Mm. wanted to teach children how to become good friends, uh, how to create positive interactions, I could have talked from morning till night and I wouldn't have got that same understanding. It just talking doesn't do it. You need to experience it, and that's the beauty what, what of the images. You, sorry, sorry, for interrupting. Sarah, what do you feel this image did for this boy? He understood in a very deep Intellectual, way. Intellectually or felt? No, he uh, he felt it. He, he he felt it with his whole being. He. He knew, he understood the lesson now. I didn't have to teach him anything about how to get along with other kids. He understood it. He felt it. He knew it. He saw it. He saw the response. He did something, immediately he sees there's a response. He, I put a coin. He did something positive. He, I did something nice. This meter smiled back at me. The meter responded with warmth to something that I did for the meter. So he understands that now. He understands that if he wants to have a friend, he has to be a friend. He understands that his actions will invite a reaction. And he has control over that, the other person's reaction. And you feel somehow it is his, or whatever you want to call it, subconscious mind. And even though intellectually he could not understand it, but his subconscious mind somehow revealed to him that Absolutely. it has to come from you. Is that Absol- right? Absolutely. He, and it, the kids love it because they come up with their own answers and it makes them feel mm-hmm. autonomous. It makes them feel empowered. It makes them feel uh, wise. I'm, I, I'm somebody of value. Their self-esteem goes sky high when they are able to do this. Um, in fact, um, I mean, the children themselves tell me what imagery does for them and how they feel. And one kid says, I like imagery because it gives me a feeling that I don't usually get. See, this is the only way they can actually get these understandings and these feelings and these perceptions and, these, and these, this kind of wisdom. He says, it kind of relaxes my brain and lets my soul free. That's it's a like child? I'm free. This is a child. Wow. Wow. It's like, it's, <laughs> It's like I'm free from being locked up for over a hundred years. <laughs> the children are often felt, they feel they're locked up because they have all these restrictions, all these rules, all these expectations. They feel confined. They feel locked up. It's like I'm free from I'm free from being locked up for over a hundred years. I don't want imagery to be taken away from me. I do it every time, and I love to do it. That was can a sixth give, grader. Can, can you give us another exercise? Yes. I just want to say one more thing. My day, another child, 11-year-old, my day after imaging is usually better. I get in less fights now. It kind of feels like predicting the future. Try imaging each morning and plan your day. Do it for 30 days. I guarantee it will work. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, this so, this is a very this is one the, for sure. This is a wonderful way to 
in a way, I don't want to say program because it sounds almost mechanical, but to create uh, a prevision, which means you give it a, an image to yourself. And then when you step in the physical reality, it's as if you already experienced it. I did it a lot with kids who were bullied. Uh, and in fact, one time I had the experience and you probably will appreciate it because you work with children all the time. I don't work with children so much, but the kid was bullied and uh, I give, gave him an exercise. You go back to school and uh, do what you need to do to feel strong and confident. And so he opened his eyes and he said that he kind of, he beat them up. He beat them up and he was very <laughs> afraid of them. And then he told it to his mother <laughs> and his mother called me and said, you know, you, you teach violence. You, this is not good what you're doing. And I said, I did not teach him violence. That's what he felt. Why don't we leave it and see what the results will, will come instead of giving him any feedback. And so what happened after she called me a couple of days later and she said, he, he actually came to school and he felt wonderful after uh, he said he was fine and he didn't fight with anyone and nobody is bullying him anymore. But then when he saw me, he told me that he, he didn't understand why actually it happened. He went to school and he was not afraid and he felt very good and nobody bullied him for some reason. But you and I understand that, and I explained it to him, that when he already in his mind acted in a way that he felt strong. So now when he went into physical world school, he already walked in feeling that strong. He yes. already was a winner. He was already yes. powerful. And so yes. that energy of power was projected to others. And that's why they felt his power. And that's why they didn't bully him. So Absolutely. he actually... Yeah, is that right? Is that my absolutely, uh, correct absolutely, absolutely, and that's so important, Peter, because you know bullying is a very big topic in all the schools in all countries, whether it's in England or America or France or wherever. Bullying is a major, major problem, and uh, you're absolutely right. We want to empower children because those who bully have probably been bullied by before, and feel unable to handle situations, so they pick on others who are weaker. But through imagery, they, you can really make them feel empowered and they feel strong and they don't have to bully anymore. And that's an amazing, amazing thing. In fact, one of the mothers came to school and she said, what magic did you do? My children don't fight anymore. Mm. That was after the children doing some imagery um, my children don't fight anymore. Because with the masks, we did masks before, so I have the children come up with different kinds of masks that would be helpful to them. And it's nice that they come up with them themselves. They love to do that because they see how smart they are. It's not me, the teacher or the therapist, telling them everything. They are coming up with answers and suggestions, and uh, it, it, they just feel wonderful. And they also listen to each other more than they listen to the teacher. So if one, they came up with the idea, self-control mask. You have to wear a self-control mask. So if a kid is acting out in class, the other kids will say, you need to use your self-control mask. 
<laughs> it has an impact. And the teacher said that when the children tell each other, they listen more than when they listen to the teacher. Or they have a right. wisdom mask. When they take a test, they're wearing their wisdom mask. Um, so I will do an exercise with the group now, um, as you suggested. It's a simple right. exercise. It's an exercise that I use with children for diagnostic purposes or just for encouraging and uh, enriching their self-esteem. So the exercise, again, if you want to, you can close your eyes and breathe out slowly through your mouth three times. And imagine you are a flower. See yourself as this flower. What flower are you? What colors? What shape? Where are you? What's happening around you? And how do you feel being this flower? And when you're ready, you can open your eyes. Interesting. <laughs> Would you explain, uh, please, to people the meaning and what possible you know, images they could have and what it would mean? Well, um, it could be... Um, what was the purpose of giving this exercise? What's the intention? Well, the intention is to visualize yourself as something that a lot of people uh, experience as being very positive, um, being beautiful. As one kid said, flowers is what my father gives to my mother after they have a fight. Um, flowers mm -hmm. is something you give. We just had Mother's Day. People give flowers to Mother's Day. Flowers are an expression of love. Flowers are beautiful in and of themselves. So when you see yourself as a flower, it's opening up yourself to your own beauty, your inside and your outside beauty. Flowers have different colors, so different dimensions of your personality. Um, flowers, many of them also have a scent. Also the tactile, the silky leaves of the flower. Now, where you are, so some kids will say, one kid said, I'm growing in my mother's garden. Uh, mm. He was a child who wasn't living with his mother. His, his parents were divorced, and he was living with his father and his stepmother. But he yearned to be with his mother, and his father didn't let him have any contact with the mother. But he put himself in his mother's garden. That's where he really wanted to be. That's where he felt safe. And this was an opportunity for us to talk about his mother and his relationship and uh, his, his wishes and his dreams. Um, uh, so said, that brings us to another aspect of imagination as an exploratory tool, is that right? Yes, yes. So it's not only a tool for for uh, kind of feeling good and empowering yourself, but also for exploring where you are in life. Yes, and also your surrounding, your environment, what's happening. One kid said... Um, uh, I'm very happy, the, the sun is shining, there's a gentle breeze, and all the environment was very beautiful. And you could see from that that the child 
Charles' family situation is very warm and comforting and loving. Another child said, um, there's uh, thunder and lightning. I have the children draw pictures also, I think, for adults also. The adults I taught, after you do the exercise, to draw a picture of what you see. If it's with color, you draw the colors that you see. And, um, and also to write uh, also a little bit about what you actually see. Um, so one kid said um, he was um, a sunflower, he said. And he said, but vicious uh, bugs, ants and bugs are eating up the flower. And he drew a mm. picture of lightning, and he said there was thunder, dark clouds. Um, and I, I could see from this that even though he was a sunflower, he was a beautiful, handsome, bright, uh, wonderful student. He came from Haiti in fifth grade, not knowing a word of English, and then he, he picked it up very quickly and became very quickly an A student. <clears throat> and um, but his home life was um, terrible, and I only understood that I didn't know that because he was never referred for counselling, and his teachers thought he was wonderful, no problems, nothing. He was a perfect student. But but through this exercise, because I always asked the teachers if I could have at least one session with a new child just to see how the child is adjusting to the new environment, to the new school, and so I saw this boy, 11 years old. And when I saw this picture that he drew, uh, I, I said, this child really needs help. And I um, had to explore what his home life was like. I had to get the mother done. And indeed, it was very troublesome. Um, and the teachers wouldn't let him come to see me because they said, well, he's an A student. He doesn't need to come to see a counselor, see a psychologist. Mm. <clears throat> but, of course, he was in real big trouble, and we would never have known it came out through this exercise. Beautiful. Sarah, I don't want to, you know, <laughs> believe it or not, time is running now. We have only a few minutes left, but I would don't want us to, to end this show without you answering this question. Something was very interesting for me to hear from you. And in fact, you mentioned it also uh, in our private conversation where you told told me that first your first encounter with our teacher was when when she gave you an exercise and then you walked out and suddenly the colors of the trees and everything around you was different which means and i would like you if you don't mind expand on it um, what something happened not only during the exercise something happened to your brain that suddenly, as a result of a simple exercise, which probably lasted 40 seconds, your perception of reality shifted. Can you expand on it? Um, you know what I'm talking about, that, that experience? Uh, I, I'm not quite sure. Um, I didn't analyze it. Um, uh -huh. you know, but you know what I'm talking about, that suddenly uh, well, well, you see the world like... in a different way. I'm sorry? I say that suddenly after an exercise, because I also had experiences like this, where, where you do an exercise and, and suddenly after the exercise, an hour after the exercise, you perceive reality differently. It's not the same anymore. That's right. I think Did because... you experience this with, with other people that you worked with? 
Did, did I, they report the same experiences where where this ex something happens and then and then it carries on? You you go through your daily life and you see that the same objects or people that you saw in one way suddenly are seeing them differently. I, I think it's because when we do imagery, we're working out of time and out of space and no limitations and no boundaries. And then somehow that that short experience uh, expands our boundaries in our daily life? I think so. Inter very interesting. Because I, I was wondering, I because I, I, I also had these experiences, and I was thinking how, yes, it's a, it's a wonderful tool while you're doing it, you're discovering, you can reprogram your subconscious mind, change negative beliefs into positive beliefs, but I was always wondering how does it happen that that then physically, actually, it's almost like our retina is changing. You see colors differently. Right. 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 Because. So would you repeat? So you are saying I think there's our an expansion. I think I assume a our inner expansion. Expansion. Uh, uh, we're not limited to time and space. Mm -hmm. And and the imagery uh, helps us to connect with that capacity within us. Is that right? Yes, yes. Because because in our daily life, we are very limited. Like I, I am guilty of that because I'm so often I look at the clock, <laughs> where yes. I'm going, what am I doing? Everything right. is like a robot-like. And then you go into the world of imagination and there is no constraints, right? Right, That's right, exactly, exactly, right. Very, very right. interesting. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I, I, I got it. I got a kind of an answer to something. <laughs> I've fallen off of a question because because not only uh, you and I, but uh, many people would say, well, like I was going home and suddenly there were different colors and, and, I, was, and I wouldn't comment. I would say, that's wonderful. But I didn't really understand or intellectually what happens because you know if we perceive reality through our visual apparatus differently something happened to our retina right and what you right. are saying is it's not just retina it's our all human organism shifted right right like yeah something shifts there's a change there's definitely a change there's, that's why doctors can use it hear people and uh um I have in my own personal experience, I had a, a growth on my eyelid and uh, the doctor said it was cancer, basal cell, and I had to have it removed. And I said to myself, well, maybe I can just image it away. And so I had to see him three weeks later and I started visualizing it, the growth going smaller and smaller and smaller. And when I came back to the doctor, he took another picture. We looked at the two pictures. I said, look, it's changed. It's hardly there now. I said, probably we don't yeah. even have to do anything now. It's gone away. Wonderful, wonderful. You, as you know, Sarah, I work a lot with people who suffer from serious physical illnesses. So that, that's the area in which I use imagery a lot. But anyway, listen, I, I am looking forward to your new book coming out. It will come out this sum, summer. I called Gratitude and Grace. Gratitude is a fantastic subject. In fact, uh, you know, I'm going to actually talk about gratitude uh, in one of my shows as a separate subject. 
maybe we once the book comes out, uh, I would love you to come and talk about that book. But those of you who are interested in reading uh, about uh, mental imagery with children, you can find is the, your book um, on uh, imagery with children available on Amazon. It is, but you can also get it from the um, publisher Whole Person Associates. Whole uh -huh. Person Associates. The shipping is free, and they've just come down. They've reduced the price, so it's a very good time to buy it now. Uh -huh. So the book down is called Guided Imagery with Children. With children and Whole Person Associates. It it is uh, available, and as I said, the publisher. Uh, gives free shipping. I'm not sure about Amazon. You can get it on Amazon. I'm not sure if they give free shipping. If you have Prime, they'll give you free shipping. But right, right. Um, it, it's available and uh, it's it's um, something. The the exercises are good for adults too. I've used this book for adults yeah. and uh, they've had amazing results. Yeah. I think anybody who is interested in the field will find it rewarding. Sarah, thank you. Thank you so, so much for this interview. I'm looking forward to summer when your next book comes out and we'll have you again talk about that book on gratitude. Thank, thank you again you. and uh, all the best. Uh, thank you. And um, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to you in person again. Uh, not, not I'm talking now in person, but in the future because we'll <laughs> get in touch. I'm so happy that we did. And everybody, I want to thank you. I want to thank you all, my listeners, for being with us today. And next week, I will be talking about, I will take you on a continuing uh, this journey that I started with you a while ago on six pillars of well-being. We'll talk about jealousy and possibly in, ingratitude, actually. And thank you very much, uh, for being with us today. Uh, I hope you will be with me next week. Peace to all who want to live in peace. Adelante, get up to the